following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, y'all got up in this weather and you showed up today. The balcony looks wonderful. What a beautiful crowd. Turn to your neighbor and clap for him. Say, I'm glad you're here with us today. That's good stuff. It happened on a cold porch one Sunday in Denver, Colorado. I was just a young kid. My dad was trying to find work. We had, uh, we had gone all over the country. We followed him to Denver. We followed him to Oklahoma. We followed him to Texas. We followed him to New Mexico. We'd gone everywhere. But the, all we ever did when we got there was try to find a church where we could feel loved and appreciated. And we were in Denver, Colorado, and it has a ringing influence in my mind, and I will, I will write it when I retire. We'll write some memoirs, and I'll write some things, and this will be a part of my story. We were on the porch of the church when the pastor asked us to leave the church. He asked our family to leave the church. And I'll never forget, because I remember it like it was yesterday, I took my mom's leg, I wrapped my arms around her leg, I was a little, just a little tight, and I said, Mama, does anybody love us? Does anybody love us? And Mom looked down and said, yeah, your dad and Mom love you, and your brother loves you. I think he might have hit me and said, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. That's Reed's daddy, he can answer that. But when God called me to preach this gospel, I made up my mind no matter where I was, I was going to love people. I was going to love people. You may not receive love, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. Some of you have an armor up today, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow because I'm not you, I'm me. And I'm going to love you. When I used to when I used to evangelize, I used to evangelize, there were some pastors that made me go hide in the office after I got through preaching because they didn't want me to get to know their people for fear, I guess, that I would take them on evangelistic tour with me. <laughs> I had to go hide in the office. Nobody has to hide anymore. We're here, we're happy, and we're joyous because for the last 28 years, God has put you in our world and we've been able to love on people every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. And I love you. To my sweet wife who stood beside me and Reed will get a, 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 child, a, pay, a pay cut for what he just did a while ago. His pay will be cut. I said, I don't want any fanfare. I don't want any fanfare. I just want to love on people again today. This is anniversary Sunday, Friday night on the 2nd of March, 28 years ago, this church asked me to come. And be a part of their future. And I stand here today still in that future. And I'm so happy God's given me health. He's given me health. Some of you may not think I have good mental health. But God's given me health. <laughs> and he's given me strength. And I'm still as strong now as I was 20 years ago. Preaching the gospel. I'm still as strong. I'm just happy. It's just a joy. It's just a joy. So. The joy that I feel, the joy that I have is because God has placed Patty and I, that sweet girl over there, my precious wife, in the right place at the right time. This is not the acceptable will of God. This is the perfect will of God in our life. And we honor you today. 
and we celebrate you today because I remember when I first evangelized, when I first evangelized, I used to go practice in empty churches. And I would lay hands on the pews, act like I was laying hands on people. And I would preach. And one day, one day, somebody heard me, spied on me, was in the back room, and they came out and said, now preach that way tonight. And it scared me to death. It scared me to death. And so, it was the pastor. And so, Bottom line is that God has prepared for us this, and He's prepared for you this, and here we are together today, 28 years into this story. I think there's a few more chapters. How about it? You want to write some few more chapters? Let's write some more. Amen. Amen. I love you very much. Would you stand to your feet? You're awesome people. I'm going to talk to you just a little bit today. It's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different. I promise you I will... I will get back to my series, and series. we'll start a new series next Sunday headed toward Easter. And we're going to have a fabulous month of March. But today is just kind of talk, just a little fireside chat today. Maybe it will make the rain go away in your life. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'll help the pastor today. I'm speaking on the subject simply, love wins. Love wins. Mark chapter 5, verse 22 through 43 is going to be flashed on the screen. Flash it on the screen, please. Okay, flash some more. Next, flash some more. Flash some more. Is that it? Flash some more. Flash some more. Flash some more. And that's all. Okay, you saw the scriptures. <laughs> I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain to you what that says, all right? But now you know that there's Scripture. People want Scripture. So there's you some Scripture. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. I love you. <laughs> You're awesome people. God bless. You can be seated. <laughs> I once heard a story about a preacher who was to preach in view of a call by the church to be a new pastor in that church. And as he toured the church that Sunday morning, he asked if he could visit the young children's class. And he asked the teacher to step out so he might inquire whether the boys and girls were being taught the Word of God. He didn't tell the teacher, but he's going to ask them. And he asked the class what he, what he thought was a simple Bible question. He said simply, who destroyed the walls or who made the walls of Jericho fall down? And a little boy named Johnny stood up and said, preacher, I've done a lot of bad things, but it wasn't me. He was very disturbed and went to the teacher and told her what he had asked the little boy and the little boy's response. And the Sunday school teacher said, Preacher, I know that boy's family and he's a good boy. He would never take down walls. You've got to believe him. Not long after that, he went to the deacon's meeting and he was very disturbed about the young boy and the teacher's answer and told the story to the deacon body. One old deacon stood up and said, Now, Preacher, you need not be disturbed. This church is a giving church, and I'm sure we have enough money in the building fund to rebuild those walls. That's funny. You didn't get it, but that's funny. <laughs> I have preached the last 28 years to people that knew about that much when they first came to this church. They had no clue what this word said. They had no clue what the word meant. There was no interpretation of the word in their life. In fact, one girl asked very innocently when we were doing the choice years ago, when we wanted some 
some blood. We wanted some fake blood for the cross scene. She said, did the rabbit bleed? I didn't read that the rabbit bled at Easter season. It's an amazing where people walk from and the, and the crevices they crawl out of to find a church like Christian life. It's a beautiful thing when people walk in knowing nothing and after a year or two they walk out and they say, wow, something changed me in that house. I walked in with a simple kindergarten understanding. I knew about Samson. I knew about Delilah. I'd heard about Moses. I'd seen films, but I didn't know the Word of God. And I've walked out of that church, and now I feel not only, not only am I a person that understands the Word, I understand that the Word was made flesh, and it dwells with me. And Jesus is my best friend. It's an awesome day. It's an awesome day to understand when Jesus turns the light on in your life. And lights have been flipped on. The switch has been turned on in this church again and again and again. And we have guests here today that probably will have the switch flipped in their world. A business executive came home depressed. Things were not going well at work and he was bringing his problems home with him every night. And every evening he would eat his dinner in silence and shutting out his wife and his little five-year-old girl. And then he would go to the den and he'd read the paper and using the newspaper as a wall for his family to keep them out of his life. And after several nights like this, one evening his little daughter took her little hand and pushed the newspaper down and jumped into her dad's lap and wrapped her arms around his neck and hugged him strongly. And the father said abruptly, honey, you're hugging me to death. She said, no, daddy, I'm hugging you to life. There may not be, have been Bible scholars that walked in our church in the last 28 years, but one word they did understand. They understood the word love. And love is in the house today. Jesus means a lot, and church means a lot to a lot of people. We call it the place of grace. We call it the place of lifting hope. We call it the place of abiding faith. We call it a place where care is given. But today, allow me to say, church is a place where people can get hugged to life. Years ago when we walked in the building next door, we had girls in tow that were 15, 3, and 6. It was three years later, three years later, I've got a little something to play to you. Three years later, on Father's Day in 1993, when I asked some girls to come up and sing for the first time in church, we have it on record. We have a tape of it. You're going to hear a 6-year-old, a 9-year-old and their sweet mom sing something that you need to hear today. Play it.
child her age when she was singing that. When we walked in this church 28 years ago, there were men who when they went to the brazen altar could handle the lamb better than me. They could use the knife better than I. They had the ability and the skill to cut and to trim and to make the slaying of the lamb for the sacrifice so beautiful in the sight of God. I didn't have that propensity. I met with a preacher not long ago and he asked me to pray for him. And he asked me to pray because he said, my temper is bad. And when people talk against me, I get mad and I want to go work on them. I said, well, you ought to be a UFC fighter. And then he said, is there anything I can pray for you about? I said, yeah, this was just not long ago. I said, yes, there is. I've never felt qualified to pastor the people that God's put in my life. I feel inferior to the task at hand. And he said, I would never dream that. And I said, well, I'd have never dreamed that you had that. But I do know one thing. I may not be able to hold the knife and use the knife like some people can, the skilled with the word and the precision. But I will go on record and say that there's nobody in all of America that will love his people any greater than what I've loved y'all the last 28 years. I'll go on record. I'll go on record. I'll go on record. I can't tell you the times I've bragged on you, talked about you, preached about you. I was at a camp meeting one time. I'm, this is all my sermon. I'm preaching to you. I was at a camp meeting one time, and the daytime speaker was talking and using illustrations from his church that were pretty bad. And I got up that night to speak. I was a night speaker, and I said, I hope that his people don't get the tapes of what he's saying here. And he got tickled at me. And the next day, he started talking good about them. But everywhere I have gone, everywhere I have been, I have bragged on Christian Life Church. See, folks, here's the, here's the, here's the situation. We have not made you what you are. You have made this man what he has become. 
You have allowed me and loved me and allowed me to have situations in my life. You have loved our family through crisis. You have loved our family through deaths. You have loved our family through situations. You have loved us when the world would not know how to love us, but you have loved us. And in that love, in that love, we have grown and we have become better people because of you. And I stand here today and you think it's all about me and God. No, it's about you and God. And you have blessed this church and you have blessed me. And I thank you for that. That's why I stand at the door every Sunday and love on you. Because I'm hugging you to life every Sunday. Because you have brought life and hope and pleasure to our home. Jesus was a hugger. He brought kids to him. There was a greatness in him. He took people where they were and hugged them to life. Mark 5, that long text that I showed you, he's loving hurting people. He's hugging them to life. The passage that's on the, that was on the screen is a fascinating one. But here we have a story within a story. Our two healing stories rolled into one and the people involved could not be more different. On the one hand, the, upper, the family of Jairus represented the upper crust, the society. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. He was the man of substance and rich and powerful and religiously prominent. In the synagogue, he, he called the shots. He decided who would preach, what scripture would be read, and what hymns would be sung. He represented the elite of society, especially the religious world. But this day, Jairus was troubled. It doesn't matter how elite people are, everybody's going to have trouble in this life. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. And on the other hand, there was a hemorrhaging woman in the crowd, a social outcast. She had this issue of blood. She was considered unclean as one who was under the judgment of God. And therefore not allowed to set foot in the synagogue that Jairus was the leader of. So he never saw her at church. And in this magnificent passage, these two vastly different people and down, the down and issue of blood woman and the upper crust daughter of Jairus are loved into life by the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to remember this story. Give me, give, me, give me just a little time. Jesus and his disciples have been going from town to town. He'd been preaching the gospel Large crowds were coming out. They were clamoring to see Jesus. And one day this man called Jairus came running to him and worshiped him. He was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at the feet and worshiped the Lord. And he said, would you please come to my house? My only daughter is very sick and she's 12 years old. She's gravely ill and she is dying. And Jesus agreed to go with him. And as they went, people began to press in around Jesus. The New English Bible puts it dramatically. He could hardly breathe for the crowds. Excitement prevailed. People were everywhere. In the crowd that day was a woman, a woman who had had a blood issue for 12 years. She had tried everything she knew to try. She had gone to every doctor with no luck and no relief and no help for her problem. No one had been able to cure her. So she slipped up behind Jesus and she had said to herself, if I can just touch not him, but the hem of his garment. If I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch something on his person, I will be made whole. And she reached out tentatively, fearfully, and touched the hem of his robe. And at once, the hemorrhaging stopped. For the first time in 12 years, she knew what healed felt like. Jesus simultaneously sensed her felt something special had happened. It was a unique touch. And he felt strength go out of him. And immediately he stopped. He turned around and asked, who touched me? 
And the disciples were astonished by the question in the midst of all the pushing and the shoving. One of them said, Lord, you've been touched by a lot of people. What do you mean touched? Everybody's touching you. But you see, the disciples couldn't tell a push from a touch. Jesus knew what it meant to be jostled. But he also knew what it meant to be touched. And he knew the difference and he knew that it was a tender touch that had drawn strength out of him. And the woman had not expected to be detected. But when Jesus turned, he asked that question. She knew that he knew and she came forward trembling and fell at his feet and confessed that she was the one who had touched the hem of his garment. And she explained in a rush of words why she had touched him and how she had been instantly cured. And graciously, Jesus lifted her up and said, daughter, my daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Jesus' gentleness and love gives her a new lease on life. He doesn't chastise her for interrupting him. He doesn't critique her theology or superstitious expectations. He doesn't rebuke her for seeing him as a sort of a last resort in her life. He gives her most gracious possible reception that anybody could have. And I want to declare that the Jesus that touched the woman that day on the way to heal a a, a rich man's daughter is in this house today. And he has been in this house every time we've gathered together. I wrote yesterday on a tweet or yesterday I was in the office and I was praying for today. And I wrote on a tweet and I said this very simply. I said 12,000 services in 28 years. And I just estimated it was probably more than that. For the revivals that we've been in. And the three services on Sunday. But over 12,000 services. And I would like to declare that Jesus has visited them all. Hallelujah. Isn't it an awesome thing? Would you give Jesus a hand today? Would you give Jesus? Because it's not the preacher that's doing the job. It's the presence that's doing the job here today. His presence fills this house. Now the rest of the story is even more remarkable. They tell Jesus that Jairus' daughter now is gone. It's too late. She's already died. And I'm sure at that moment, Jairus, as any father would be, was devastated. His only daughter snatched away. But again, Jesus is gracious. He's generous. He's loving. I can just imagine him touching Jairus and say, Jairus, just believe. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Believe. She will be made whole. And they go to the house. And the people are weeping and mourning. They scoff at him for thinking he can do anything about this. But Jesus goes into that little girl and he resurrects her. He resurrects her with words that says come up and come out of that place. And she arose and they gave her something to eat on that very morning. Here's what I want to declare. That Jesus is the kind of messenger, savior, elite person in our world. That you can touch him and be healed. Or he can speak to you and you can come alive again. Ha! I'm here to declare to you this morning. Jesus is a great, great Savior. Does anybody want to get excited about him? Does anybody after 28 years want to exalt him? Anybody ever touched him and been made whole? Anybody ever heard his voice and rose up again? I'm telling you, there's healing in the house. There's love in the house. He's not hugging us to death. He's hugging us to life. Hallelujah. In 28 years, I have learned this. First of all, love has power to heal. 
Love has power to heal. The Bible said, now there abideth faith. Everybody say faith. faith. And hope. And charity. 1 Corinthians 13. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Charity. The only one that will last is love. Love lasts. Love lasts. Love lasts. I've seen a lot of churches come with power. I've seen a lot of churches come with dominion. I've seen a lot of churches come with with hard preaching pastors. But I see those churches fade away also. They're closing. But it's hard to shut the door of a love church. It's hard to shut the door when Jesus Christ is presented as one that heals you because he loves you. And every time we preach, you walk out of here feeling like you could whip a bear with a switch. And you know that. You know that. You know why? Because I've seen the Jesus for myself. When I was down, when I was going through tragedy, he didn't come and condemn me. He didn't come and throw me under the bus. He lifted me with his love. He lifted me with his hope. He lifted me with his grace. And I'm preaching that same Jesus today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everybody say his love has power to heal. Scientific research is now confirming what many of us have suspected all along. That love plays a big part in the healing of a hurting body. Love has the power to heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I read about a dog who was a stray dog. That a company took him in and showed him love by feeding him. And of course that dog would come and lick their hand when he would leave the the dish bowl. He would leave the bowl with his tummy full and lick the water and he would leave lay at the back door of this company. The back door was always open. And one day the dog was injured. And so the boss of the company said, feed the dog, but do not love him. The boss wanted to have a little experiment to show his people what true love meant to customers. He said, feed him, but don't love him. And so the dog would come and get his food. And when he would look to lick the hand or, the, or lick the arm of the person feeding him, they would turn away and shove him away. And the dog would eat But he never got well for four weeks. He was getting worse. And then the boss came and said, feed him and love him. And when they fed him and loved him, within one week the dog was happy and healed and running along like he ought to have been running. Here's what I want to tell you. It's one thing to feed you the word of the Lord. It's another thing to feed you while I love you. Amen. Amen. Ha! And for the last 28 years, we've preached the gospel in this church. It hadn't always been proficient like I wanted it to be, but I promise you, it's always been laced with the love of God. Somebody say, the love of God has the power to heal. Not only does it have the power to heal, love has the power to reconcile. I've learned that in the last 28 years. I've seen marriages come together. I've seen families reunited. I know that reconciliation works. 2 Corinthians says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, We are his ambassadors. God, please through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled unto God. Everybody say, We are ambassadors of the love of Jesus Christ. We want the world to be reconciled to him, amen, and reconciled to one another. In his book, Preaching Event, the author tells a story about identical twins who owned a store. They were men who owned a store when their dad died, and they were great brothers as well as look-alike twins, identical. 
And one brother made a sale one day and placed the dollar on top of the cash register and walked a customer to the door to say goodbye. And when he returned, the dollar bill was gone. And he said to his twin brother, did you take the dollar bill that I left here? He said, no, I didn't. He said, surely you took it. There's nobody else in the store. And the brother became angry. He said, I'm telling you, as your brother, I did not take the dollar bill. And from that point, mistrust and suspicion grew until finally the two brothers could not work together anymore. And they put a partition down the middle of the building and made it two stores. True story. In anger, they refused to speak to one another for the next 20 years over one dollar. And one day a stranger pulled up in a car and entered one of the two stores and said, have you been in business here very long? And one of the twins that he walked into his side said, yes, 30 or 40 years was the answer. He said, good, said the stranger. I have something I need to tell you. Some 20 years ago, I passed through this town and I was out of work and I was homeless and I jumped off a boxcar and I had no money and I had not eaten for days. And I came down the alley outside and when I looked in the back door of your store, I saw a dollar bill on the cash register. And said, I took that dollar. And recently, he said, I became a Christian. I was converted to the Lord, and now I know it was wrong for me to steal. And I've come back to pay you back that dollar and give you some interest. And when the stranger, oh, hallelujah. Oh, I feel like preaching. When the stranger finished his confession, the old storekeeper began to weep and said, Would you do me a favor? Would you come next door with me and tell the owner of the store next door that story you just told me? And of course, when the second telling happened, the two brothers were reconciled with many hugs and apologies and tears. And they started a building program. They tore down the middle wall of petition. Here's what I want to tell you. You listen to me. You listen to this pastor. That when you walk in a church like Christian Life Church, the love of God can reconcile you to your family. It can reconcile you to your children. It can reconcile you to your work. Jesus Christ is a reconciler. Come on, clap your hands real big. When that woman... When that woman was touched by him, Jesus didn't leave her in the crowd. He said, come to me. I want to be reconciled to you. Come to me. I want to show you off. I want to show this whole community that you have touched my garment and I have healed you. When he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he said, come on back in, mourners. Get Get your tambourines and get your happy clothes on. I am a reconciler. I can bring children back to life. I can bring people with issues back to health. I can do the reconciliation. Hallelujah. Here's what I want to put on the screen. The things that unite us must be stronger than the things that divide us. With the Lord's help, we can be agents of reconciliation. Everybody say his love has the power to heal. It has the power to reconcile. And also, number three, it has the power to redeem. His love redeems. And I'm closing, Randy, if you'll help me. His love redeems. Let me ask you something. You've got to be honest. Anybody ever known the redeeming love of Jesus in your life? Has he, come on, has he turned your life around? Has he loved you into life? I know it, I know it sounds trite, but... There's a lot of history written about the Jewish people that's not in the Bible. And I'm fixing to tell you a story, a Jewish story, a history story that is very true. It's a beautiful story about a tax collector named Zacchaeus. 
It tells how in years later, he rose up every morning and left his house. His wife, curious, followed him one morning. And at town, at the town well, he filled up a bucket. And he walked until he came to a sycamore tree. And setting down the bucket, he began to clean away the stones and the branches and the rubbish from around the base of that tree. And having done that, he poured water on the roots and stood there in silence, gently caressing the trunk with both his hands. And when his amazed wife came out of hiding and asked him what he was doing, Zacchaeus replied, this is where I found the Lord. I can just imagine that for the rest of their lives, that woman who touched the hem of his, his garment on that day in the street, and Jairus' daughter, who was raised up in the room in her house, continually brought people back to those sacred spots and said, this is where I found him. This is where Jesus loved me back to life. I love the story of Eddie Rickenbacker. He was a World War flying ace. And one day he was shot down in the middle of the ocean and his men parachuted and had a flotation device that they got on, but they were adrift at sea for many days. And they knew they were going to die. But one day, Eddie Rickenbacker prayed a prayer and a seagull came and landed on his head. Google it, true story. And quickly he reached up and grabbed that seagull, the sacrificial seagull lamb. And they killed it, and they gutted it, and they ate it raw. And it brought them strength. And Eddie Rickenbacker, when he retired from all his doings, retired down in the Florida area. And every Friday, because it was a Friday when the seagull landed on his head every Friday. Eddie would go to the beach with a bunch of minnows and he would throw those minnows out to the ocean, to the sea so that those seagulls would have something to eat because one saved him one day in the middle of an ocean. Don't talk to me about my praise. Don't tell me I shouldn't be effulgent in my thanks. Don't tell me that I need to shut up. Don't tell me that I need to hold my peace. Because one night in West Texas, Jesus saved me. He filled me with his glorious Holy Ghost. And here I am today, a child of God. So why can't I, every Sunday morning, why can't I throw out some things to the people of God? Why can't I have scattered blessings? Why can't I throw you the good things of God? Why can't I bless you with His love? Because there's nobody, nobody has hugged us back to life like Jesus has. I must close. Everybody say He's a healer. He's a reconciler. He's a redeemer. Bruce Larson in one of his books 
One of my greatest illustrations that I've ever used in this church. I'll use it again today. Tells of how he helped people who were struggling to defeat things in their lives. And he writes, for many years, I worked in New York City and counseled at my office any number of people who were wrestling with these situations. And often, he said, I would suggest they walk with me from my office down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. I've been there. And the entrance of that building is a gigantic statue of Atlas, a perfectly proportioned man who, with all of his muscle straining, is holding the world up on his shoulders. There he is, the most powerfully built man in the world. And he can bravely stand up under his burden. He can barely do it. He said, that's one way to live your life. But try carrying the world on your shoulders is not an easy thing to do. But now, he said, come across the street with me. And on the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral that people visit all the time in the city. And there behind the altar is a statue of Jesus as a boy, perhaps eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he's holding the world in one hand. So today, so today, I preach the Jesus that I've been preaching for 28 years. If you're tired of trying to hold up everything on your own, I'd like to present a Jesus who's got the whole world in his hand. Would you stand? Would you stand? Would you stand? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And so today, Patty, I would ask you to come one more time, sweetheart. You've been such a blessing to me. I, I can't hardly talk about it without crying. Come up here, sweetie. Come up here. Somebody else is going to have to help with the babies in the second, third service because you're not going to be babysitting today. You're going to be in here. This is your day too, sweetie. Come up here. I would like to end this service this way. Have I told you lately I love you? (laughs) That ain't how I'm going to end it. Uh, I'd like to end this service this way. Patty and I are going to stand right here. And we'd like to bless you that needs something from God. Maybe you need to be healed. Maybe you need to be reconciled. Maybe you need to be redeemed. But we'd like to just bless you today. As pastor of this church, not because we're better than, more, more, more spiritual than, but because we love you. We'd just like to bless you and pour some love on you from our hearts today. Would you let us do that? Would you like to come? You that would like something special today, would you just walk these aisles and come and stand here right now? And Patty and I are just going to stand right here in front of you, right here in front of you. Amen. We're going to bless you in the name of the Lord. Thank you, sweetheart. We're going to bless you in the name of the Lord today. Come on. Come on. Here they come. Here they come. Every Sunday when this happens, my heart gets broken because I I understand that I just represent him. When people say, there's the man, I say, no, I'm not him. I just represent him. But what a joy to represent Jesus to you as the Savior that has lifted my life and blessed my life. And so I bless you today. Come on down. Come on down, everybody. We're going to wait just a moment. You can come on down here if you want. Come on. Come on. Come on. And some of you that can't get down here 
don't think my prayer is going to be stopped at this wall. It's going to bless all of you in here. Just come on down. Come on down. I want you to lift your hands just in a receiving way. Just lift your hands. Patty, I want you to lift your hands toward this side and bless them. And I'm going to bless these folks over here. Dear Father, in the name of the Lord, I bless this congregation right now. I bless these precious people. Thank you for a love that heals. Thank you because you're the healer. You are the healer. Thank you for a love, Lord, that reconciles. You reconcile families. You bring lives together. You bring homes together. You bring hearts together. You're a reconciler. Thank you, Lord, for a love that redeems. Thank you for saving us. Lord, thank you for saving us. What a joy to be in the salvation plan that you laid down for us at a cross 2,000 years ago. What a joy, Lord. What a joy. I love these people. I bless them in the name of the Lord. I bless them with healing. I bless them with reconciliation. I bless them, Lord, with redemption today. I bless them. May they be blessed. May they be healed in the name of Jesus. On this Sunday, on this anniversary day, Lord, when the church is to be praised and the church is to be honored, I honor these precious people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.